Welcome to the Relationship Revolutions podcast with Alan Watts, the love engineer. The world needs more healthy, loving, and lasting relationships, yet school does not teach how to attract, build, and keep them. G'day, and welcome to the latest episode of Relationship Revolutions, where this week I am joined by not one, but two guests, Tony and Sophie, and they're a bit of a interesting couple because not only do they live together and in a relationship together, they also run a business together. So we're going to be covering all sorts of things, covering both sides, because so many people I speak to say, do not work with family ever, yet here they are. So let's um, hear a little bit more from Tony and Sophie to find out how they got to be where they are now. You want to go? Over to you. <laughs> so we are Tony and Sophie. Uh, we run a business called Balance Coaching, but more importantly, we're actually engaged to be married. So we've been together now for about seven years, um, been in business for about five, I think. Yeah. 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 And yeah, the idea that people shouldn't work with their partners, family members, that sort of thing. It all seems to be going quite well so far. So there's been no arguments. So <laughs> maybe we are one of the few that don't, but it's weird. I was in a room with some people on a networking call earlier and all four of us work with our partners and we're all saying that they've never had an actual business argument. So maybe there's something in it. Maybe it's a way to go. Yeah, maybe. It's it's kind of a curious one. So for myself, I, I don't know if uh, with this being a podcast, whether people are just going to hear it in... in um, in audio or if they're actually going to get to see just how how good looking as a couple we are you <laughs> may notice that there's a little bit of an age difference between us uh it's about five years actually <laughs> um so when so we, we i've known sophie for many years i've known her from when she was a little kid mm. and that sounds a bit weird um yeah that needs some context <laughs> yeah so we were we were part of i was part of a running club sophie's parents were part of another running club we come together go away and do races abroad and so sophie was always dragged along by her mum and dad mm -hmm. to these races and i was friends with her mum and dad and uh, i created a triathlon club because i'm a triathlon coach and all of a sudden this young lady started turning up with her mum <laughs> to our training sessions and would just watch whilst everybody's swimming. And the pretense was that her mum was interested in triathlon, but actually that's not the case. Sophie was interested in pursuing me. That's the way we put it. <laughs> just point out my mum was actually interested in triathlon. <laughs> so publicly, Sophie stalked me. And as I got older, my running wasn't quite as good as it used to be back in the good old days. And eventually I succumbed. But this is a really interesting point. I felt really bad about it. So I'd been divorced for two, three years before we got together. And uh, I felt really bad about it. I was really struggling with it because I got a very low self-opinion of myself, having been in previous marriages and both gone bust. Um, and why would a really beautiful young lady like Sophie be interested in me, who's got loads of degrees and all this kind of stuff, and I've got a cycling proficiency badge? I don't have one of those. <laughs> And and I couldn't handle the fact that there was such an age difference between us. Uh, so I was actually scared of that and I was scared of the judgments of other people. Whereas considering that now I'm a mindset coach, I should have been far more open-minded. And it's because of the work we've done with that and with how Sophie has enabled me to get back in touch with myself, to actually love myself, that we are now where we are. So without Sophie and without the mindset work, you probably wouldn't even be speaking to us today. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of communicating. Mm -hmm. So, but the official line is Sophie stalked me and I'm quite proud of that. <laughs> and we're getting married next year. <laughs> I've got a feeling that's yeah. going to be in some wedding speeches as well. <laughs> <laughs> more than likely, more than likely. Um, my my partner sort of says she stalked me as well. She messaged me first on her online platform, despite her profile clearly saying, I will never message you first. <laughs> so that for me was a good indication. <laughs> because we're both so good looking and so charismatic that uh, these ladies are just lining up for us. It's one of the, 
<laughs> one of the burdens that we have to carry being just this <clears throat> good looking, you know. Yeah. You've already answered one of my regular questions, which is um, how did you meet? Because I often hear, hear, well, where do I meet my ideal partner? Where's the one hiding? And I've never had a couple or anyone say, give me the same answer as to how they met. And mm. yours is completely different again. And I love that. So clearly you got into the relationship first before being in business together. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So how did that merger of the two happen? Do you um, want to answer that? Yeah. Well, at the time I was working in Sheffield, working in sales in the company in Sheffield. Um, crazy long hours, a lot of commuting to and from. So I decided, right, I'm going to leave that job and work a bit closer here. Again, got into a job in sales, which was just down the road. And after, I think, about a year or so, maybe two years, it got to a point where I was doing a few little things around Tony's business. Well, he was very much keeping it pretty much as a hobby, weren't you? Yeah. Mainly doing the Pilates aspect that we still teach now. And I just got more and more involved in doing these little social media things. So admin things, really. And it got to us going on a course down in Bedford, a three-day marketing course for fitness pros and that sort of thing. And on the way back, I said to him, right, I want to invest in the business. And he told me to bugger off and said, no, it's my business. You've got your own job. That's it. I was like, right, okay, I'll keep helping. (laughs) And it took until COVID where I'd actually left that sales job decided to set up my own coaching company after qualifying then COVID hitting and realizing okay people aren't going to want to deal with a brand new company right now with it being so fresh so why not merge the two minds and we kind of looked at balanced coaching and said if we're going to do it let's do it properly so I got more and more involved and I think it was about two years after that I think I became an official partner in the business so it's been a slow kind of drip feed of kind of getting more involved <laughs> and covid was that catalyst i think yeah and now it is uh it, it it's evolved i think that's the best way to describe it it's evolved mm-hmm. as we've evolved our business evolved there's parts of my business that i no longer have mm-hmm. it's no longer my business it's our business our relationship is 50 50 our business is 50 50 i could have said no it's going to be 51 49 <laughs> But I don't agree with that. I think if you're going to do something, you're going to you're going to be straight up front from the very beginning. Um, so uh, I asked Sophie if she would want to come on board with me as a partner, uh, and that was before I proposed to her. Mm. So the proposal actually happened this year, uh, and we were we'd been partners for a year or so before that. But it was the mindset work that made me realise that by pushing away, by creating barriers, I was hurting myself. If I was prepared to be vulnerable and to risk rejection from a young lady that's 30 years younger than me, I know it's difficult to believe if you're watching this, you know, but I am actually 30 years older than Sophie, um, that um, I've got to open myself up. I've got to be vulnerable. I've got to take the risk because if I don't take the risk, She's going to get fed up. She's going to get bored. She's going to walk away, and then I've lost everything. And it's it was, it was really listening to the works of Breenie Brown and talking about vulnerability and 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 risking mm. that enabled us to, in front of forty odd people, ask Sophia she'd be happy to be my wife. And you got quite a nice ring now, haven't you? Show it the camera. <laughs> Don't know who it's up there. <laughs> so um, so yeah, it's um, it's now business and personal mm. and uh, our conversations before how do you manage to keep them separate so i'm sure that's something that you you might be wanting to explore it is but first off as um as sophie's already mentioned the proposal and shared the ring everyone wants to know did he get down on one knee was it romantic tell us the story it was very i was very surprised He didn't get down on one knee. We were in front of about 30 or 40 of our friends in the Cotswolds at a mindset retreat. And on these 
weekends away, we always sit separately. So when you're doing all the mindset work, you can't coach someone that you're emotionally involved with. So we sit separately. I was sat at one side of the room. He was sat at the other. And I saw him get up and his voice was very kind of shaky. I thought, oh, God, what's he on about now? Just kind of brushed it off. And he suddenly asked me to come and join him up at the front. And he put my favorite song on, which is Heroes by David Bowie. And as I actually got up, I walked past the organizer's husband who was sat next to me and just went, oh, for God's sake, what does he want now? So I kind of reluctantly got up in front of everyone. And he handed me the box after telling this story about acres of diamonds, which is a different story. And very nervously handed me this box, which I then had to very nervously and very shakily open myself, (laughs) trying not to drop it. And yeah, very surprised. But we both had a very same experience where once we were up at the front, it's as if the attention just kind of went inwards. So we can't remember hearing anyone applaud or kind of gasp when he actually asked. But apparently everyone was either in tears or very shocked. But we just have this memory of each other being in front of each other. And that was it. And the rest of the weekend was just us kind of celebrating and everyone inviting themselves to our wedding at some point. It was was literally for both of us um, tunnel vision. Hmm. So... As athletes and also as business people, they talk about getting into the flow. And that's when everything just goes with ease and everything else just disappears. And all the best made plans go to pot (laughs) when emotion gets involved. (laughs) They do indeed. So so I had got in my mind what I wanted. I'd managed to get out the the, because it was planned beforehand with the host of it. So Mm. I, I, I told the story of Acres of Diamonds. Have you heard of the story of Acres of Diamonds? Uh, I don't think so. Very quickly, so it's about a, a South African guy. There's a there's a preacher from America who's told the story, Charles Paul Cobb, and he had a missionary, and he created a university for people that couldn't afford education off the back of his lecture series that he went around the States telling the story of Acres of Diamonds, which is a true story. So a farmer heard that there were, in South Africa, lots of areas where there were diamonds, there were riches to be won. And his farm wasn't doing very well, so he sold his farm. And um, he spent all the money trying to invest into finding diamonds, went all over the place searching for diamonds. And in the end, he threw himself into the very stream that went through his grounds of his existing farm and committed suicide and drowned. Now, the guy who bought the land from him, he was paddling in the in the, in the in the stream, the river, whatever it was, and he saw this unusual stone and he picked the stone up and he had it on his mantelpiece and a friend came round and he says, oh, look at this stone that I found, isn't it pretty? And it was a diamond in the rough and that diamond in the rough, the farm where the poor farmer had sold at low cost because it wasn't bearing any fruits, ended up becoming the largest diamond mine in South Africa. Hmm. In other words, it's already there. You've just got to look for it. And the and the moral of the story was I'd already got my diamond and I wasn't about to turn my back on my diamond. I just had to invest in the diamond. So I bought one. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a lovely story. Mm. Yeah. So from what you've said, it's obviously a very vulnerable thing to do, not only proposing, but doing it in front of all, all your mates who, if she'd have said no, could have ridiculed you for the rest of your life. Were those nerves that you were feeling more because of the fear that she could say yes, the fear that she could say no, or the fear that the proposal wouldn't go to your plan? Good question. Really good question. I wasn't scared of her saying no. I wasn't scared of fluffing my lines. In fact, I wasn't scared of anything. I was completely at peace. But it was the emotion of having somebody right in front of you and trying to find the right words when the old Adam's apple starts swelling up massively in the throat, because I am quite an emotional guy. I, I cry when anybody wins a race in the Olympics and trying to appear to be the swan that's graceful on the top, but paddling like crazy underneath. It just went to a bag of doo-doos. And um, <laughs> there was one of the ladies who was in there who digged her friend in the, in the ribs and went, 
he's going to propose. He's going to propose. <laughs> and I went, nah, he's not. Because we've been up on stage before. Mm. And I've been, so, Sophie's, I've known for ages that Sophie's wanting to get married. That's always been one of her things. Mm. And I've always been the one said, no, I will never, ever get married again. It's nothing about you. It's just that I don't believe in marriage anymore because of my experiences that I've had. We don't, it's just a piece of paper. I was coming up with all these, all it's these stories. Thing. Yeah, all these stories as to why marriage wouldn't work for me. So if you want to be with me, it's got to be on my terms. I was really quite selfish looking back now, but I was doing it out of protecting mm. my poor little inner child who didn't want to be hurt again. Yeah, so what what was it that made you change your mind from being so adamant that I'm not getting married to, will you marry me? It was it wasn't a it wasn't a spur of the moment decision. It was a uh we was at this same retreat the year before. I was out running with a with a good friend of ours in the morning and she she said to me, she said, Are you in because she's Australian, I'm not gonna put the accent on, but she said, <laughs> Are you in Sophie, are you and Sophie ever gonna tie the knot? I really feel it's about time I got myself a new hat. Now it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna the venue at Rat would be brilliant for a wedding reception, wouldn't it? Mm. So what she did is she sowed the seed in that moment, and during the next nine, ten months, in fact, it was uh, it was only in the December, just before Christmas, that the seed germinated and made itself known to me. So from me making the decision to actually proposing was no more than ten days, and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So planting the seed and allowing it, allowing it the time that it needed, rather than trying to force it. And it germinated of its own accord. I wasn't even aware that it was germinating. And then that, oh, bloody hell, why don't we do this? So I rang the host up and said, oh, would it be okay? What do you think? Oh, we've never had a proposal. That would be brilliant. I'm going to have to get a hat and all this kind of stuff. There's going to be floods of tears and everything. And uh, so that's what we did. We planned it. Um, And, uh, but... The plan was it was going to be at a certain point in the retreat. And then when we got there, she took me to one side and says, I've had to change the plans because it doesn't fit in quite right. You've got to do it in two hours. <laughs> Time to start shitting yourself. <laughs> those were exactly yeah, as, uh, as Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, right. so, um, so that, that was it, really. But it, it was only, it was probably 10 to 14 days mm. from um, making the decision, contacting Arlene to see if we'd be okay to do it. And then she said, have you got the ring yet? So I said, well, no, I want Sophie to buy the ring. I want her to choose a ring. No, women don't want that. <laughs> they want to be given a ring. I went, well, I can't. What if I get the wrong one? You won't get the wrong one. Use your intuition. Trust yourself. And it fits perfectly. Mm. It's the perfect size for her, and it sparkles, and she loves it. Mm. So fire inside. So, so uh, trusting that intuition. How did you get the right size? I wondered that as well, because <laughs> it is literally a perfect fit. <laughs> what I actually did was during the next two to three days before I went to the jewelers, was to kept on doing the high fives, and I was <laughs> as she was putting her hands up against mine, I was trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere close to the little finger then <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah there was a little, a little bit devious mm. but uh it goes to show for for all you friends out there that are, that are listening to this if you want to stalk somebody <laughs> do it from a distance not a, not an in-your-face spooky sort of way but sophie must have known something and she followed what she wanted and with persistence, she got what she wanted. We don't endorse stalking by any chance. <laughs> no. no. I, don't, I don't need any more. <laughs> One's enough. It's interesting because I see so many podcasts, especially over in the States and video channels and reels and whatever else, that are saying the man must pursue the woman. It's natural, yet it doesn't have to be that way. For me, that that's a story that everyone's just bought into yeah yeah and it's that story that it makes the woman quite passive in the relationship as if she's just waiting for what the man's doing whereas 
that's not how it is anymore. <laughs> Isn't it? Didn't you know? No, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so so it... I think years ago, sort of pre, probably pre-1960s, way before my time, but men were the more masculine ones. They're the workers. They're the providers. They do everything. Women are the at home, looking after the kids, nurturing, looking after the house. But along with that, the women's part of her that wants to get on and do things, which may be labeled more masculine, get suppressed. And men's emotions, their need to, for connection also gets suppressed. But now it's having been swung the pendulum all the way the other way where women have been really really masculine and men have been really really feminine i think now it's swinging back to somewhere in the middle where there is a balance of these masculine and feminine energies and the gender has less to less of an influence on it i think um yeah some points that you brought up there, you're talking about way before your time. I was actually born right at the end of the 1950s. So I was brought up in an environment where those beliefs were rock solid. Um, and I guess that's where I struggled quite a lot because I was holding on to old-fashioned beliefs, mm -hmm. my parents' beliefs, not my beliefs, as I found out later, yeah, but but hanging on to the story that I'd created of, oh, the light's gone off, of what uh, what was going on. Mm. So um, with what we've got now is a situation where when male, masculine energy, female energy, men have got both energies within them. Women have got both energies mm. within them. Yeah. And you talked about suppression there's the the other side of suppression is expression. So if you suppress, you're keeping everything within you. If you express, if you get it out there, it's far better for us. And now ladies have been given a platform to be able to voice their opinions. And some men are are scared of the fact that women are actually able to think for themselves, whereas there are other men that welcome it. And the whole thing about masculine and feminine energy is something that we sh we shouldn't be scared of because the only the only time we've got fear is because of ignorance and ignorance is lack of knowledge. Yeah. And this is about relationships. And we've seen in the last year or so, there's a plethora of people that are standing up there on the bandwagon of being masculine. Mm -hmm. Men clubs yeah. where men can be men and be vulnerable, vulnerable in front of men. And our experience of those are that they're quite misogynistic. And everything that we do is inclusive we don't want to exclude half of the of half of the population you know just based on gender or on religion or on sex or on color or anything we should be welcoming people in to work with us and that energy is one of the universal laws that everything has an equal and opposite we've got the law of polarity you've got the law of rhythm all these things are basically the same we've got light and shade the light went out on me for a second so we have to be open to new ways of thinking or we stay with the thoughts that we've got. And the way I describe that is you're a bit like a shellfish where you close your shell up and you don't let anything in. And then you open your shell up when you want to feed and then you shut it again to protect yourself. And that's how I used to be. I'd got my values, I'd got my beliefs and nobody was going to mess with them. Mm. But I was a miserable so-and-so. And once I risked... I find that hard to believe. Well... So do I, but it's the truth. And, <laughs> and uh, but what once you once you make yourself vulnerable, which isn't as scary as you think. There's a there's a there's a brilliant saying. If you want, if I want to be free, I've got to be me, not the me I think Sophie wants me to be, not the me I think my kids want me to be. If I want to be free, I've got to be me. Yeah, hundred percent. And and that's that's the way that we operate now. And Sophie is Sophie is Sophie, and I encourage Sophie to do what she wants, and you encourage me to do what I want. Yeah. And I think that's partly the reason. I mean, we always say that we're now nearly seven years into a relationship, and we haven't had a, an argument. That doesn't mean that we haven't disagreed on difference of opinions. But I think it's it's that balance, and you put your own separate boundaries in to say, okay, no, this is my sort of viewpoint this is my sort of place 
and this is yours. You don't have to be inside each other's pockets to be a successful yeah. relationship. If if you do, it then becomes quite unhealthy. To be able to have separate lives and then come together, that's when the strength comes in. So to be able yeah. to have that individual uh, individuality to then become stronger together. And I think that's what we're quite good at. Definitely become far, far stronger together. Yeah. It's, it's... Yeah, because I think it's um, the relationships a little bit like a three-legged race. You've both got your individual leg and that one that's tied together. Mm. Unless you work as a team, you both fall over. But if you lose your individual stuff, whether it's um, hobbies on outside of the relationship or whatever that may be, then you both fall over. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's quite common for people to lose themselves in a relationship because yeah. they think it, it becomes their way of knowing that they can keep hold of it. It's like, I'm giving you everything. So that almost means that someone has to stay. You're making sure that you give enough so they can then go, okay, you've got to stay here now. Yeah. But by embracing, like I say, that individuality and keeping those, you can become stronger individually. Ideally, that is the best bit because then that is something that you then bring in. Yeah, and 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 with what Sophie's just talking about there, because of our background, we've both had toxic relationships. We have both been controlled by our partners, myself quite subversely because – I later found out through counselling and through work that I've done that she was projecting everything onto me that she was accusing me of. But I wasn't aware of that at the time. So I was being accused of being yeah. a control freak. But my counsellor said, actually, she was controlling you by saying that. And Sophie had a, a very controlling relationship, didn't you? Mm. Which created loads of problems, created loads of problems for me in my toxic relationship, mm, but yeah. I'm not going to speak for Sophie. Sophie can speak to herself mm. if, she, if she wishes to. But I think those those experiences make you make you more empathetic to others. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to make sure that because this has happened to you previously, now we've got some boundaries mm. and we can talk about our boundaries openly without fear. Mm. And yeah. I think that honesty from the start from the very very start um you know with with sophie when when i asked her if she wanted to move in with me it was you know if you want kids i can't provide you with kids because after my first marriage i, I went down the brickyard i wasn't going to have any more children because i didn't want to have give them any reason to think that i was pulling away from them that was a decision i made at the time and i i was quite glad that i made that decision so if if with Sophie being so much younger, if you want to have a family, I can't provide you with that. I'm not your right partner for you. If you want to get married, and that's the most important thing to you, I'm not the right partner for you. And you'll go your way, but that'll be the right thing for you, which will make me feel good that you're doing the right thing for you. But I will have lost out, but I'll be okay. I'll move on. And we said that right at the beginning. So yeah, I, think I think a lot of couples who get divorced is a result of not having those big conversations in the early days and having that if you if you like that disney image of they lived happily ever after because they got married without actually talking to each other and saying what's that relationship actually look like to you because so often it's completely different yeah another really interesting point my divorce solicitor who's a beautiful lady she said it if you ever get involved in a relationship again, it says, oh, it's not going to happen. She says, yeah, but you might do. Make sure that you sign a prenup beforehand mm. whilst you're happy so that when it gets to the other end, if it does go its wrong ways, that emotion isn't controlling those decisions. You've already mm. got something sorted. It's not a negative thing to have a prenup. When we decided we we're going to go into business together and we we're going to get married, Sophie said to me, I think we should have a prenup. Sophie brought the subject up to me. I didn't have to bring the so subject up to Sophie. We still haven't got it sorted, but we're going to have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because because you, you have to know the end game. As you said, it's not Disney. Yeah. Sophie wants her Disney wedding, which I will do my very best to be Prince Charming on the day, <laughs> rather, than the Grinch, rather than the Grinch. But sometimes things go wrong. Mm. So get in those... Get the planning done whilst everything's lovey-dovey. Because yeah. it's so much easier 
than when you're fighting and then you've got solicitors trying to take your money off you. And if you've got that in place, that means that you've had to talk to one another properly mm-hmm. about these deep subjects that you just mentioned that might be just, they might just disappear in the in the rose-coloured lenses yeah. and the those urges that are there in the early days of a relationship. And I think it's that it's that need to communicate as well, but also in how people communicate and whether they're saying it with force. So whether you're saying, no, you will hear me, this is what I want, and not actually giving space for the other person to offer up their side. It's almost a case of I'm going to talk at you and tell you what I want rather than yeah. it being a 50-50 sort of discussion. So someone said a great phrase the other day that you want to take it from being a monologue to a dialogue. So you're not just talking at a wall. You are actually communicating with someone there. There has to be that sort of balance. That word keeps coming up. (laughs) What? Communication? (laughs) For your listeners, you may have noticed that um, Sophie sounds quite posh. (laughs) And she's highly educated. And... She surprises me every day where I've just got my my way of thinking <laughs> and I think I'm enlightened sometimes and I have a big ego sometimes and I say, why don't we do this? And she comes in with a curveball <laughs> and I go, wow, um, I hadn't thought of that and I'll go away and she won't labour the point. She'll let me go away and ponder it and mull it over and ruminate with it and then come back and go, yeah, thanks for that. You were right. And that's wisdom far, far, far beyond its years. If I'd have had the wisdom at Sophie's age, then uh, I wouldn't be the person I am today because I wouldn't have made the mistakes that I have made that have helped me to become the person that I am. So I'm really grateful for all the crap that's happened in my life. And I'm grateful for the crap that's happened in Sophie's life because if her life had gone a different way, our paths might never have crossed again after all that time. So we have to be grateful for, even when we're in the middle of it, when you're right in the middle of that storm and stuff's going bad for you, it's there for a reason. And out of every adversity, there's a seed of equal or greater benefit. And we have to remember that. We also have to look for that benefit because so many of us get stuck in our ways, stuck in the past, stuck in our stories, stuck in our beliefs, stuck in the emotion of the event rather than actually saying okay what can i learn from this how can i use this to serve me and the world better yeah i think a lot of people sorry i think a lot of people are quite keen to keep hold of their own story as well so it becomes like a badge of honor and also with that it becomes a bit of a safety blanket so very much like tony was saying about not wanting to get married again that had become his safety blanket because that was his way of not getting hurt again. But to actually, and like we do in mindset coaching, you learn to question if it's serving you and what the alternative would be. It's not to say you're right or wrong. This is right, so that means everyone else is wrong. It purely means being curious to see if if it's still serving you now or whether you can actually take it off and just, I don't need it anymore. Can you see why I got engaged? (laughs) Can you see why I asked her to marry me? (laughs) So with the balance side of things, how do you balance business and personal relationships? Because especially with you two, they're very, very closely intertwined. Mm. I think the best way to describe it for us is that it's a work in progress. So we don't go in it saying, okay, work finishes at this time. So personal life can start here. We don't operate like that. So we work from home mostly apart from doing the Pilates side where we're actually out and about, but it's, it's fluid. There's no way that we could operate by putting an actual timetable in and saying, okay, put your laptops down. I tried that at the start of our relationship. I was quite <laughs> He's laughing because I would get really annoyed at the fact that he would be spending all of his time on the laptop. So I was always confident in the fact that he'd never have an affair because he was already having one with the laptop that he was always in front of doing the work. But it's when you get rid of that need and seeing it as something that's stopping you and actually being open to what it can give you instead, that's kind of where my mindset changed. 
So as long as we're doing something that moves us in a way that's one, either beneficial for the business or two, something that is beneficial to us personally, we don't really have those boundaries in, do we? No, we we, we, we actually work autonomously, mm. but at the same time together. So we're side by side now, but sometimes I'll be upstairs and Sophie will be downstairs and vice versa. So we, we're quite happy to go and get our own space so that we can focus on what it is that we're doing. Mm. I'm an early bird. I'm up at five o'clock every morning and I start working straight away. Sophie doesn't get up till about half eight, nine o'clock. I'm Less knackered. Of that. Closer to eight o'clock, not nine. <laughs> Close to, to nine, apart from two days of the week. And But by nine o'clock at night, I'm falling asleep and I go to bed. And Sophie's a night owl mm. and she doesn't go to bed till midnight. Mm. Sometimes. But we still meet in the middle and... I'm the one that has all the ideas and I pass them over to Sophie and I say, can we go with this? And it's up to Sophie to make what I've envisioned mm. come true. Um, and we haven't always agreed on what it is that we want to do. So what we've done now, because we were trying to do everything just up on the wall there, we've actually got how our business is laid out now. And we've got a satellite, we've got a team of people that are helping us now where we're offloading an awful lot of stuff that we were both trying to do to the best of our ability, but now we're offloading it to other people. Mm. That makes it so much easier for us now because we're actually not delegating to one another. Mm. So if I give Sophie a task to do and she says, yes, I can have this done by Tuesday and by Thursday it's still not there, and now I'm scared of asking her why isn't it there because I might offend her, now we're giving it to somebody else, so we don't have to have those conversations. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. So when these little disagreements or disconnects come up, how do you handle it? How do as I'm told. It doesn't work like that. We, we talk it through, mm. and then we go our separate ways, because it might be me banging my head against Sophie or Sophie banging her head against me. Mm. And we each allow ourselves the time and the space to process that and then come back together. And we might still disagree, but if somebody's passionate about wanting to go forward with something, we'll say, okay, let, mm. let, let's do that. And if it if it blows up in our faces, we'll deal with it. Mm. Because we said that, didn't we? The, was it the beginning of this year? Sophie wanted to do something, and uh, and she, but she wasn't too sure. If mm. that's what you really want to do, yeah, it was shaping the Pilates side, wasn't it? Yeah, it, we, we we with the Pilates side, we I used to do what is called pay as you go. People would come in, they'd drop a fiver into an ice cream tub. That's how professional I was, and I wouldn't check to even see if they'd paid. As long as there's enough money coming in to cover the the hire of mm. the hall, that's all I was bothered about. And Sophie went, yeah, I can't do that. It's not a business. We need to get them onto blocks. So we were having six-week blocks with two weeks off, and that's the model that we apply now. And people are going to have to pay up front. And if they can't attend a session, tough, unless they've given us good reason, good cause, tough. Whereas what I was doing, if they didn't turn up, it was me that took the hit all the time. Mm. And Sophie came up with the argument that we might drive everybody away. They might not want to do it. No, if that if that's what you want to do, Let's do it. And if that does happen, then we'll deal with it. We'll we'll change. As a result of what Sophie did there, our business trebled in about two months. Mm. So by allowing, almost inviting failure, again, that risk factor, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. You can always start again. So by allowing somebody to, to learn by making a mistake, and Sophie does the same with me, and I'm really good at making mistakes, and sometimes I learn from those mistakes and sometimes I have to make the same mistake two or three times before I learn. And then and then we can move on. But that's how we've operated from day one. Which is quite human, really, because you don't want to be assigning blame. I think that's the important thing. It's not about yeah. going, well, I'm right, you're wrong. Like I said before, it's seeing it as a learning process. OK, this didn't work. OK, so what can we do now? In the heat of the moment in a relationship, that's not often how it's worded. <laughs> no. it's, it's that learning process rather than seeing as something as quite finite and, okay, if you disagree with me, that means that you're attacking me personally. There's that yeah. disconnect. So realising that 
say for us, a business decision isn't a personal attack. It's something that's quite strategic. And in the relationship, it's not something that's pointing fingers at me. It's something that's actually, this is what I need right now sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, I've come across many of those uh, situations where if you don't see it the same way I do, then it is a personal attack or you haven't heard me or something like that. And it just, it doesn't work. Yeah, the, the, the person that says that or feels that, it's because they've got a poor self-image of themselves that they feel that it's got to be a personal attack of them mm. rather than the deed or the act that's going to be committed Yeah, rather than the person. Mm. So we both have got good enough self-images that we don't take things personally on that basis. Mm. So everything is consensual mm. all the way through everything that we do. And we both take it for granted that anything is anything is okay until one or the other says no that's that's going past a point that i'm not comfortable mm. with yeah. and it's not saying that we've got a really crazy crazy lifestyle but maybe we should go out and do some of these crazy crazy things like the race across the world yeah. and all this kind of stuff and and going off and doing really crazy stuff that mm. normal people don't do mm. well why don't they do it maybe if we, if we want to go off and travel backpack around the world for six months then why don't we do it but we haven't done those sorts of things just yet we haven't gone yes. <laughs> have we? you know no <laughs> we we haven't gone gone through the the jungles of borneo but all those things we might if, if sophie said she wanted to do it and i thought oh let's give it a try mm. maybe we'll do it but i think it's unlikely <laughs> but never say never <laughs> indeed so by a rough calculation in my head, Tony, you must have retired a while back, but you're still working. What's going on there? It's not work. Hmm. Yes, people will see it as work. I, I get up every morning and I start playing. So when I was a young man in my late teens, early 20s, I, I looked very boyish. And people used to refer to me as Peter Pan. And my my personality was very boyish. That's a polite way of saying I was very immature. Um, but somewhere along the way after the first divorce, when I lost the kids and the family and the business that I'd got that went down the pan, lost everything all in one go, all those dreams and that sense of childlike play disappeared. And it's only when I started doing the mindset work after the second divorce, mm -hmm. nearly 20 years we were married. So, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't something small. Um but through that period, I lost everything and I'd become very cynical and I'd become very bitter and twisted and that had become my normal. So I didn't even know that I was bitter and twisted. I didn't know that I was cynical. I thought I was Mr. Positive still. But no, that wasn't that wasn't the story that everybody else was experiencing of me. So that's why the work that we've done, that's the fact that Sophie's helped me to discover myself so that I can stand up in front of a, a room full of people and quite happily say, I love me. And I can say that knowing that I love me. Because when me and Sophie got together, I didn't even bloody like me, let alone love me. And Sophie gave me the time and the space to allow me to find myself again. And, and to me, that's just a beautiful thing. And that's why I considered her to be so wise. And that's why I think she's very lucky to have me. <laughs> <laughs> So you say there's uh, quite a big age gap between you and you've already mentioned that um, you feared other people's um, perception of that. Um, there's a lot of stigma around age relationships and I get to share, share your perspective on it in a moment. But for me, it's the biggest thing is not the age itself, it's the stage of life. So as you well. mentioned earlier, um, if Sophie wanted kids, then that was it, game over. So that that's one of the key key things that needs to be discussed up front. But what are the things that you've had to do between yourselves to work through the challenges of different ages? I think with us, I mean, we were very lucky in how we had different circles around us. So we only encountered one or two people who actually yeah there was tend to pass judgment on 
our relationship at the time. Mm. And apart from that, it's been completely positive. All the side of Tony's friends from his RAF days have welcomed me in like part of the family, which I'm forever grateful for. And the same with his actual family. So the actual sort of reluctance to the relationship, I think of our own personal sort of viewpoint was more on our personalities and how they would fit in. So we didn't see the age, we saw the personality. Yeah. And we both fit in very well. So whether that means that I'm more mature or Tony has more of a child-like <laughs> personality, I don't know where that fits. But we've kind of gelled together in that sense, haven't we? Because we have a very similar sort of sense of humour. Yeah, I, I'm I'm now reverting back to being to Peter Pan. Mm. I want to play more. So the fact that you're saying that I'm working, I retired coming up 10 years ago. I retired at age 54, so it's giving you a bit of a clue. Um, Beatles song going on in your head now. <laughs> when I'm 64, which happens in a few weeks' time. So, yeah, there is that age difference. There are the stages of your life. I used to joke that, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky I've got a carer, yeah, um, because obviously the chances are that I'm going to peg it before Sophie. But on the other hand, if Sophie dies before me, I've got to deal with it because we never know what's around the corner. Yeah. Or we, might, we may both die together. The only thing we know is that we're going to both die at some stage. There's got a really but, positive twist to this but, right now. But, it, <laughs> but that's, only, that's only the piece of the body, isn't it? But, so, yeah, the, there is that age difference in those stages of life. Mm. But I'm now working, but I'm not playing. Mm. And my intention is to play every day of my life until I draw my last breath. So if that means that I'm still doing what I'm doing now, helping people when I'm into my 80s and 90s, brilliant. Bring it on. The day I stop enjoying what I'm doing and people can see that I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, that's when it becomes work. And the day I have to start working is the day that I'll retire mm. because I've already, I'm already retired. I've got a pay rise coming up courtesy of the government in a couple of years when I get my... I don't know what they call it now, old age pension. Mm -hmm. So I get a pay rise. And that, as far as we know, that's going to be paid until the day that I drop dead. But things might change with the current, current government, might they? Because they keep on changing the flaming rules for us all. So that's where I am. So I just go out to play every day. And and it's beautiful. I take it seriously what I do. Because we're we're doing our damnedest to help people. And... Uh, and that really is a beautiful thing. It sounds a bit cheesy, but it is a beautiful thing when you can say, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was on a call with somebody the other day and uh, within five minutes, she, her face was full of astonishment. How did I know so much about her in such a short space of time? And she would say something and I would give my perspective of that. And it was, how, how, how can you tell? Well, that's using your intuition. And it's a gift that we've all got, but a lot of us hide it. And when we find that gift and we start exploiting that gift and developing the gift in the same way that we develop the muscles, brilliant things can start happening. So it's a duty to share that with as many people as I can. And, and Sophie's got that gift as well. And Alan, you've got that gift as well, because the, with the work that you're doing, you're helping people, the people that are listening to this right now. So you've got a duty to, oh, I can't remember who it was who said it, but don't die with the music in you. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's quite a few people have said that actually. Yeah, well, shall we? May, claim? may even have started with John Lennon. <laughs> shall, shall we claim it? <laughs> but I think when it comes to like age gap relationships, like you asked, it was, it sounds cliche, but I don't really see the number. I don't see the age. And I know that's a saying that everyone always says about that age doesn't matter or age is just a number. But I can guarantee that many of our friends would say the same, that they don't see an age gap between yeah. us. They just see the people. Yeah. And we've had friends, of, especially in the mindset side, have said that to us, that to them, we're just us. They don't see it as one yeah. being 30 and the other one being 60. Sorry, mention the age. <laughs> I'd already said it. <laughs> but it becomes <laughs> you become your own separate people. Again, it's back to that individuality and you come together rather than being one down there and one up there. Yeah. Yeah, the only time I think where age does matter is that the younger younger of the two is actually over 18. 
Yes. <laughs> that, that's the that's the one kind of boundary that must be in place. Should have put that caveat and uh, caveat in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for clearing that one up. <laughs> what when we first started seeing each other? She, she was nearly thirty when we first started seeing each other. Nearly thirty, but you never say a woman's age. So she was nearly thirty when we first started seeing each other. So, so, uh, so we're twenty-one then, Tony. <laughs> Again. Yeah. 21 then, Tony. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've been very, very fortunate to have found each other. We complement each other. And I think the the word that Sophie mentioned quite a few times today, and it's not the name of our business, Balance Coaching, but which, by the way, is just behind us there. Look there, see the logo? That's Balance Coaching and also the stickman. But no, it's communication. And you can actually communicate without saying anything. You can if you choose to. Because we're sending information out all the time and receiving information all the time because your listeners will have had those occasions when they've got into a room and they've just felt cold and they've had other times when they've got into a room and it's just felt warm and then embracing. And then somebody comes into the room that takes all the all the heat away and it's an atmosphere hoover. So we're picking up on these things all the time, but we're not really aware of it. We don't know where it's coming from. So we communicate all the time. Um, even when I might not be looking at her, if she's saying something to me, <laughs> if I'm on the laptop, if I'm working on something and Sophie starts talking to me, I can't hear her mm. because I can only focus on one thing at a time. But then I'll say, were well, you saying something? Right, you've got my attention now. Now tell me. I'm not bothered now. <laughs> and she does that. <laughs> but that but that's important. when when you're When you're listening... Make sure that you are listening mm. rather than just pretending that you're listening because the person that's speaking to you or at you in that occasion can tell that you're not really listening. Mm. Like your body language, I can tell whether you're listening to us or not. Mm. So because of that, that we've got we've got to give the the physical um signs that we're actually listening rather than just yeah. mental. Yeah, I was talking to um a friend of mine who interviewed a listening specialist and one of his customers reached out and says look I just want to tell you that my wife has uh, accused me of having an affair and he's like well no I'm, I'm not having an affair she says well you must have been because your behavior has completely changed the last three months and I just want to know what's going on what her name is and everything else, what I've done wrong and all that kind of thing. It's like I've not been having an affair. What I have been doing is working with a listening coach for six months. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing the difference it makes. I think it was um, Dr. Stephen Covey says um, in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, there's a difference between listening to reply and listening to understand. Oh, huge. Absolutely. It's as if with some people, you know, they're just kind of waiting for their turn to speak rather than there to actually engage and listen and take in. And Yeah. Something that Sophie's really hot on. She's taught me this one. And this must come from her university days where people, <laughs> will, people will start espousing crap onto social media. And as soon as somebody gives them a contrary view to their view, that are opposing them. And this polarity, is, it, it, it's like a, an epidemic is going all around the world at the moment. Mm. You're either with us or against us. Yeah. And Sophie pointed out to me something that I'd never really considered, that you know, until you're actually prepared to listen to the other person's point of view, you're just giving them your opinion. But we should be debating, we should be communicating, which means you've got to yeah. listen to both sides. You can still make your own mind up and go one way or the other, but at least... If you're thrusting your opinions onto somebody else, at least have the decency to hang around and listen to see what their mm. opinions are. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was Albert Einstein that says, um, if I'm doing all the talking, I'm not learning anything. Well, like that. That's a great one. Yeah, it's, it's very true. Uh, a, a, a quote that's kind of similar-ish to that, that's a word I've just made up. I like to make words up. <laughs> Is that the the teacher always arrives when the student's ready? Mm. Yeah. So when you're ready to listen, when you're ready to learn, you're going to start hearing things. Mm. Now it's not that the the teacher's been waiting just around the corner for you to open yourself mm. up to listen. 
It's just now you're open. That information has always been there. It's just that you've been shut down to it. And that's a perfect example of how I was with Sophie. I was shut down. All the messages were there, but I was refusing to let them in. I think also as well, we kind of, when it comes to any sort of relationship, whether it's, say, with a fiancé, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever, a lot of us kind of assume that we know what the other person's going to say and what they mean by it. So whether we... I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) So whether we actually (laughs) do it, but we can judge people on what they're saying without actively knowing it or not. But really, it's only our perception. And that word gets banded around in this house quite a lot, doesn't it? Is that it's only your perception of it. And that is based on our stories that we have throughout our life because maybe we weren't listened to as a child because we were the youngest one and we were just told, okay, just be quiet. We're all busy sort of thing. That then becomes our normal. So we then begin to judge people's interactions with us or non-interactions in that sense based on that story. But really, the other person doesn't have an idea about that whatsoever. They don't. They maybe don't know that story. And they're literally just going, oh, I'm busy. Sorry, I, I didn't give you my full attention. But we already, we jump to conclusions sometimes. So there needs to be that awareness that it's your story, it's not theirs. And that that perception yeah. is only yours. Damn good, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> but it can Absolutely. be very it can be really hard to do and without that sort of awareness you can go through so many relationships just go well they're not listening to me they're judging me and you you end up wearing that little chip on your shoulder quite a lot through relationship friendship after another after another when really i, I, would, I wouldn't i wouldn't say i had a chip on my shoulder sack of spuds maybe but <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's it's something that we all do, whether we know that we're doing it at all. It becomes so yeah. ingrained. But it's, yeah, we're all guilty of it. But being aware of it is that change in sort of character, really, that can make the difference. Absolutely. I think something else that, that's kind of important for a relationship like ours to, to flourish and thrive, we both want it to. And that's not being touched on at all. Mm, that's true. So because we want it, because we've got a burning desire for what we're doing, because we can see the benefits, mm. then we're going to make damn sure that we look after it. Mm. So you get some men, some women that will go out on the driveway every Sunday and start polishing the car, and they're putting far more love into something that's going to depreciate in value than something that might be inside of the house that's actually going to really make their life so much better. So if we support one another, we both grow stronger. We can support each other when we're down because I'm going to have my down moments and Sophie's going to have her down moments. Hopefully we're we're going to be able to help each other up. So we give a hand up. We give a space. So if Sophie's going through a bit of an off moment, that's okay. I'll cover you. You take as much time as you need to be down. So we ask the question, you know, how much, how long and how often do you want to be in that space? Because you may have to go through what you're going through to be able to come out the other side. Because mm-hmm. if you try and say, no, don't do that, all you need is a positive mental attitude, <laughs> which is what a lot of people in our space are saying. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. That's their truth. Because they've yeah. heard somebody say it on mm-hmm. YouTube or whatever, and they, oh, it's catchy, that. All you need is a PMA. But no, you've got to allow people the space for them to disappear into their cave, as I do. I, I disappear into a cave. Yeah. And then when I've had enough of sitting there in my cave being mardy, then it's, hi, can I come out now? And it's the same with Sophie. Mm. And it's, I, I do feel that it's important that when somebody is, you may conceive them as pulling away from you, they're not. They're actually diffusing a situation. Mm. Yeah. So it's part of self-care in, in a way. Of course. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's- John Gray in Mars and Venus talk, talks about um, men having a cave and women having a well and the differences between the two. And even deeper with um, Beyond Venus. But um, enough about him. That's uh, This isn't his podcast, it's yours. So <laughs> for anyone who's listening to this, what would their first steps be to working with you 
and getting a taste of what coaching is all about. You want to answer that? I was going to let you. Going to let me. Okay. We offer anybody who is serious about sorting themselves out with whatever it is they want help with, we let people have a half hour free coaching call with both of us together or myself individually or Sophie individually, because I'm, I'm a brash Yorkshireman, call it like it is. Whereas Sophie is a very softly spoken, very, very wise young lady from Lincolnshire now living in Yorkshire. Um, so some people might gravitate to me and some people might gravitate to Sophie. That's where balanced coaching comes in. Um, and if you don't want to do that, then we've got um, regular five-day challenges, mindset challenges. And uh, our next one is going to be at the beginning of February. So look out for us there. I believe you're going to be putting maybe some notes into the into the yep. podcast notes mm-hmm. once we've got it sorted. And... Um, get yourself along to a, a free five-day masterclass where we're going to be covering everything from goal setting to leadership to limiting beliefs and all that kind of stuff. And, and they're really powerful. And it's not a sales pitch. That's really important. It's not a sales pitch. We're giving information away. And because the information's so good that we're giving it away and you're going to get so much value from it, you're going to want to work with us anyway. So we don't have to sell what we're doing. It's not about selling what we're doing. We're just giving as much away as we can. And if you resonate with us, we'd love to work with you. We'd love to work with you and give you more of our time. Um, And if you don't resonate with us, find somebody that you do resonate. Alan, you've got loads of people wanting to work with you. So we're all in the same space so we can collaborate. There's plenty of people out there that can help you. It's not just the three of us on this podcast. And it's important that you find the person that resonates with you. I've had loads of coaches. Some of them have been the ones that say, you need to do it like this and that's it. It's their way or the highway. They're not coaching. Coaching is about drawing the best out of the person that's there, getting them to answer their their own questions rather than always providing a solution. Yeah, definitely. So final question for both of you. Before I tell you what the question is, who wants to answer it first? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay then, Sophie. On. question is as this podcast is called relationship revolutions if there was one thing that would bring a revolution to the world of dating and relationships what would it be oh i like that um it's not going to be a sexy answer it's not going to be anything really exciting but actually, doesn't matter <laughs> actually to listen to the other person take on and actively listen rather than just making your own story up to suit you and to tick all the boxes in your own head actually listen and i think that can shape relationships whether it's personal friendship family whatever that can be the key to unlock them that bit better love it tony over to you something other than listening well i i saw a, a social media post the other day from somebody that's in um dating agencies space and they were talking about when you're getting yourself back on to maybe wanting a relationship, identify the person that's going to make you happy. And when you can find the person that's going to make you happy, then go for them. And I thought, what a load of crap. <laughs> what a stupid thing to say. <laughs> because if if I'm going to rely on Sophie to make me happy, the only thing that can happen is Sophie's going to fail because Sophie can't make me happy. She can do things that I respond to that I go, oh, I'm happy now because happiness comes within. So if anybody is in that situation where they're thinking about getting into a relationship or maybe they're thinking about getting away from a relationship, then you've got to look inside yourself first before you start looking outside because all the answers are within you. And somebody might tell you a joke on a Friday evening after a few beers and you think it's really funny. And then tell you the joke again the following day and you realise that it wasn't funny after all. It's how you perceive. Mm. So the happiness comes from within. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's not just about looks. It's about the personality. It's about everything. But start from the inside out. And when you're happy with yourself, it's just so easy. It's just so easy. But when you're not happy with yourself, you start projecting onto the other person as to what you think that they should be so that they're, they're going to make you happy. And by doing that, you're 
throwing away all your responsibility and you're putting it onto somebody else's shoulders. Big, big mistake. My experience mm. of a 20-year marriage and a seven-year marriage was expecting them to make me happy. Mm. So I'm guessing you believe in uh, that old saying, third time lucky. Someone said that to us yesterday, didn't they? <laughs> it's actually fourth time lucky for me <laughs> because the first fiancé didn't even make it to the... Uh, I've started thing. calling him Henry VIII. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, whatever happens in our future, whether we stay to, together till death is due part or we go our separate ways in the future, we're always going to be friends because we've we've built that relationship on that basis first. And yeah, I hope that we'll be together until death do us part. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's quite simple. Quite simple. When when you when you know yourself, you know everybody else, and you don't have to rely on somebody else to provide for you because you can provide for yourself. If you're going into a relationship where you need that from somebody else, my experience, maybe not Sophie's, maybe not yours or anybody else that's listening, this is my experience, so I'm owning it. You're doomed to failure. Yeah. I would agree with that based on um, my own experience and what I've found. Working with um, on my clients as well, because if you're approaching it from a place of fear of losing something or wanting to get something, whether it's love, respect, you need to find them within yourself first, and be that authentic version of yourself or the most authentic possible in the moment. Mm, yeah, you are so wise, sir. Can see why you're doing what you're doing. And on that bombshell. We'll call, call this a day, and um, I'm sure we will uh, be speak, connecting again and speaking very, very shortly. It's been an honour and a pleasure having you both on, and um, we'll speak to you soon. been an honour and a privilege. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and uh, total respect to you. You're doing a brilliant job. Just keep doing what you're doing. So proud of you, fella. Keep it going. Thank you, sir. Tenors in the post. <laughs> Is that all? Do I get one as well? Is that all? I thought we'd agree to higher fee. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Relationship Revolutions podcast with Alan Watts, the love engineer. If you found this episode useful, please like, subscribe and share. 